welcome to Musicale Pathways, the podcast which focuses on the different pathways musicians take in order to reach their musical goals. And today we're going to be talking to another teacher over here at Musicale so you can get to know us all a little bit better. Today we have with us the master of drum setups, maintenance and all things that make your kit sound good. He's had great success performing in the studio and live for some world-class names and he's now here at Musicale helping us all to sound that little bit better. We have Mr. Tim Brooks. How's it going, Tim? Yeah, good, thanks. Wow, that's, that made me sound way better than I actually am. I know, thanks. I'm really good at that beginning bit. I don't know why. <laughs> I, I like writing out and making people sound better than they are. Hopefully well, that has yeah, no bearing on me. <laughs> My ego has been stroked. Thank excellent, you. excellent, excellent. So, as I said at the top, we're going to have a look at the ways in which music's developed your life and how your skills have developed through your career and how you became a professional, yeah, professional musician. Um, so, we'll start all the way back at the beginning, all the way we went when you were a kid. How did music enter your life when you were young? Wow. Well, it was it was there way before I was born. Um, luckily, I come from a family of musicians. Um, cool. My both of my dad's parents were performing musicians um, through the war, and my grandmother was a concert pianist. Um, and dad, subsequent to that, uh, got very much into performing. He's a class- classical clarinetist. Oh, nice. Um, and toured Europe with the National Youth Symphony Orchestra and did all of that kind of stuff. And, and to this day, he plays um, in sort of uh, orchestral stuff and, and quartets and quintets and stuff. Um, so we were surrounded by music for our entire lives. From from the moment I was born, I, I'd literally go to bed listening to Dad practising his clarinet and um, <laughs> Mum would be in sort of um, folk folk outfits. She sings. Right, um, cool. Her brother, Uncle Dave, is a is a gigging musician. He plays organ and so uh, really piano and stuff. And oh, totally, yeah. yeah. We were surrounded by music, and I think uh, it just it was osmosis, really. Um, and because all of our parents, friends, and their social groups and stuff were musicians as well, um, it just kind of we had uh, piano lessons with a mutual friend, um, and. Yeah, all three of us, because I was, I was the middle, or I am the middle of three boys. Right. Um, and my eldest brother picked up the guitar um, after doing all of his piano stuff and became an incredibly competent guitarist <laughs> br- really quickly. Um, and basically, yeah, just picked up the drums from having gone through piano lessons and trying saxophone, trying all kinds of different instruments. Um, and you the, it was what, what made you zone in towards the drums? Was there anything, or was it like because your brother played guitar, it kind of made sense? Or no, it was it was more of a well, but how do I describe? So basically, in primary school, uh, yeah. this this guy came in to do like a demonstration. It was like an assembly, yeah. Um, and it wasn't like he he wasn't offering lessons or anything. It was just a this is what I do. This is what's possible. This is what's kind of, we had a really good music teacher in our primary school. Um, and cool. I was always in, involved in the classic recorder lessons and, you know, pl- I'd, I'd play all the piano songs for assemblies and stuff, you know, when you'd, you'd sing all the hymns and stuff yeah, in assembly. Yeah. Um, I'd often have to play, I'd have to play um, <laughs> in, in assemblies 
along to the you know it would be very really simple stuff like yeah, maybe yeah. some chords in the left hand but very simple stuff um and yeah so she the what was her name miss penwarn absolutely brilliant teacher awesome. was really really um helpful in kind of getting that creativity going so she'd bring all of these people into school um and there was this one guy i can't remember his name uh, but he came in and did a, an assembly probably quite basic drumming um but i was just you know, at that point, I was like, "Oh wow, okay, yeah, that's that's a kind of cool thing to do." Yeah. But I'd already seen, you know, videos and like listening to music at home. My older brother would be, you know, he bought home albums by Queen and Led Zeppelin and Aerosmith and stuff, and he was big into his Iron Maiden and you know the heavier rock stuff. And yeah, but from that point on, I was like, "Right, that's what I want to do." I, I don't want to be sort of stuffy and classical and, and you know, old school. <laughs> behind the like. piano. Don't yeah, I want to be doing... So, yeah, I wanted to do something more kind of energetic and, you know, rock and roll. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, um, I never ha- actually had the opportunity to try playing the drums uh, up until... Man, there was... My dad went to university with because he he actually studied professionally uh, and went into the law, right? And a guy that he went to university with uh, had three sons about the same age as us, um, and they remain friends to this day. And we'd always get together during the summer holidays and stuff as a family or two families of three boys. And their eldest was a guitarist. Their middle child was a sort of singer. He played harmonica. And their youngest was a bass player. Um, And between the sort of six of us, there would be kind of this this musical kind of bonding, if you like. Well, you've got like a full band there, haven't you? Oh, totally, (laughs) and some. And their eldest had originally started off playing drums for about two months and then he kind of gave up and it was just sat in the corner of his bedroom. Um, And they were all all playing guitars and basses and just sort of showing each other these Eric Clapton licks and, (laughs) you know, listening to Jimi Hendrix and stuff. And... Uh, I was just like, can I can I have a go at that that thing? And the you know I I knew what it was, but it was a bit kind of sheepish. Um, and so Jeff, their eldest, said, "Yeah, I'll just show you a basic four four beat. Put me on the kit." And I just took to it like a duck to water. I was like, nice. I was hooked from that second. And yeah, the whole yeah. weekend they couldn't get me off the kit. It's like we're going out for a walk now. We're going down to the seaside. What do you want to come? I was like, nope. Nope, not happening. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, and that, yeah, from that point on, I was just playing along to anything and everything I could get my hands on. Did you have any formal lessons? Not Did until you... I was about 16, 17. Okay. Sort of so GCSE like kind of stage. Like college age. Yeah. So, way before that, um, back home, my brother got into, my elder brother uh, got himself a band in sixth form college. Right, yeah. Um, and there weren't really any drummers around. Right, okay. So in school, all through school, I was the only drummer. Uh, and through <laughs> sixth form, I was one of two or three. Yeah. Um, and so they basically said, well, Tim plays. Why don't we get him to sort of sit on a rehearsal and see what, see what happens? Yeah. Um, and again, you know, it was just like duck to water. I was like, wow, this is what it can be. This is incredible. Like <laughs> this playing is with even actual... better than playing by myself. <laughs> exactly. Um, and... Because I'd been playing along to things like Aerosmith and Led Zeppelin and Queen and all of the stuff that I'm sure a lot of like beginner drummers aspire to be, yeah. um, that's the kind of stuff that we started playing. So we were doing sort of covers, Doors and Pink Floyd and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
And yeah, so from there on, it was just an education by doing and being surrounded by music and trying to emulate the people that I was trying to cover the songs of. And yeah, I played my first gig when I was 15 in a pub and uh, probably highly illegally. I'm not sure at that stage whether it was, you know, when would forced, that have but been? it was um, mid 90s, 95. I oh, know, I think you'd have been all right. I think it was okay. like because. I remember when it came in that you had to be over 18 to be in a pub. And right. Because I had just turned 18 when that had happened, I think, or very close to, so we didn't miss any gigs. But right. we could have if, if, <laughs> <laughs> if it had been a bit yeah. later. I think that's the um, case anyway. It might have just been that that didn't happen in Cornwall until that point. <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah, we were kind of in the sticks as well. So it was, yeah. it was literally a country pub on the Welsh borders. Um, yeah, yeah. And... Uh, yeah, just two men and his dog uh, sat in the corner, sort of, you know, not really paying much attention. Yeah. Um, but for us, it was like the biggest thing that had ever happened. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, I mean, from there, it was kind of baptism of fire. And I was just uh, thinking to myself, well, I'm really going to need to up my game if I want to do this properly. And at that point, I was like, mum and dad, can I get some lessons, please? Oh, that's cool. Um, so, yeah, and they were, you know, being musicians themselves, they were like, yeah, brilliant absolutely supportive as, as anything and um, that's um that's yeah. quite a big step for some people isn't it you know like if they, you've got to have that support there or it's um especially with the drums yeah 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 i mean <laughs> yeah they, they know what they're getting themselves into don't they mm-hmm. <laughs> snares and yeah and cymbals all day all night <laughs> yeah I mean, like I say, I was incredibly lucky uh to have the upbringing and, and sort of support that i had um we had uh, a house in the middle of nowhere so there's no neighbors to you know destroy the lives of yeah um and i was in a, a room right at the top of the house in the attic and just literally locked myself up there for hours and hours and hours just playing my drums <laughs> um and i think really that's the major was the majority of my practice was just trying to emulate my idols and and playing as much as i possibly could just being sat behind my kit and playing and playing and playing and playing I mean, it's not a, not a bad way of doing it, is it? You know, it's, no, it's, it's, it was it's, fun as far as I was concerned. It wasn't it, practice. It yeah, was just it goes back amazing. to that, like you know, that ten thousand hour thing, doesn't it? To become a professional, mm. you must practice or play for ten thousand hours. Well, if you yeah. if you're putting it into that intensity, it's just going to come around so much quicker, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, but as I say, I mean, at that stage, I really didn't see it as practice. Yeah, it was just something I desperately wanted to do. Yeah, I kind of think I think that is a little bit of an issue where people really think about it as practice, but it practice could be just playing. <laughs> like it's yeah, just the, yeah. I mean, that's the what the word thing. means, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so it's so funny when people are like, oh, "I'm not very good at practicing," or or practicing's really hard. It's like, well, do you want to play the instrument? Yes. Well, there you go. You're all very good. often. It's the, it's the perception of the word, what it means. Yeah, it's like it, this is like, this is like homework. This is this is trudgery. Um, but it definitely doesn't have to be with, with music. And then you sort of discover your limitations through that process and you go, okay, well maybe I should do something that I'm not quite so, or isn't quite so enjoyable because I want to achieve this thing. But then Um, then the enjoyment comes from the, like the challenge, doesn't it? You know, like then, then you're pushing yourself and that's the enjoyable bit is like, oh, I wonder if I can do that 10 B bpm faster or yeah absolutely it's gamifying it it's yeah, I, yeah. I always say to my students you know gamify it see it like a level on a computer program and it's like yeah can i can i manage to do this in slightly less time or can yeah, i get yeah. it a little bit quicker or just you know um 
yeah, it's it's really important to kind of make the process fun. Um, yeah. And luckily for me, it came incredibly naturally. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's pretty cool. And that, so, what are you? By that point, I guess you're. You said you're at the end of end of secondary school. That's right. Yeah. And you're, um, and you're going into college, and you've got a teacher then. By that point, did you say? Yeah. So um, I mean, primarily, like through school, I would because I, I went to Hereford. Uh, Bluecoat School, which is based at Bishop of Hereford Bluecoat School, which was miles away from my home, but I got church placement there, um, and so it gave me the opportunity to go f- go home from school on a bus, which had quite a long journey, which yeah. gave me the time then to do my homework. So I'd sit at the back of the bus with all my books and stuff, just strewn <laughs> around, and I'd do as much of my homework as I possibly could on the bus on the way home, with the primary objective of having nothing to do when I got home, so I could get on my kit. Um, so it was just, I guess, a a very ancient form of kind of efficient time management. It's much Um, better than my time management, even now. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty impressive. It was kind of like someone working on their laptop on the way into work in, you know, London or something, but, you know, in a slightly less glamorous way. Um, but yeah, so, sorry. I I used to do that, but instead of doing the work on the drive, I would sleep. And then I would use that sleep to power me another two hours. So you're into sleeping the night. on the drive. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm in hoping the bus. you weren't the one in the bus. Oh, right, fine. <laughs> in okay. the bus. So like on the way to college, <laughs> sleep on the way in, sleep on the way out. You got two extra hours in the evening. Then perfect. It's a similar Brilliant. kind of time management, but much more lazy. Yeah, if, it, you can, if you can, I just can't sleep during the day. If I'm up, I'm up, and oh, if really? I go to sleep, I am out like a light. But it has to be sort of during you know, sleep and wake hours. I can't just switch my sleep on. I I wish I could sometimes. (laughs) No, I can do that. I can just be like, I sleep now, (laughs) right now. (laughs) Savor that energy, get that energy real good and then burn it off later. I guess that comes from being a parent as well. You're so exhausted all the time that you you can just sleep wherever and whenever. Although I think I've been able to do it forever. I I think I used to do it just so that, because I used to like have a weird sleeping pattern anyway and, and I would practice from like probably like 10 o'clock till sometimes like three o'clock in the morning. And then wow. I'd wake up at like eight. Like I said, take the bus into college, sleep on the bus, sleep on the <laughs> way back because I'm so Brilliant. tired because I practiced all night. Yeah. I used to even practice like in my breaks at college. I would be like sat under the stairwell like practicing. So yeah, it was pretty um, pretty intense, but... That at that point, when you're in college, you don't really have homework if you're doing just a music course. So it was right. um, It was okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was I mean, we were quite lucky. I mean, obviously, jumping jumping ahead a little bit. When I did get to music college, um, it was it was very intense. You know, it was yeah. literally waking till sleeping, music and practice mm. and and solid work. But um, yeah. And a little bit of partying as well, but you know. Well. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, getting back to where we were. So um, I'd played my first gig before I'd actually had any formal tuition. Um, and for the first, I mean, I, we had maybe a run of three or four gigs on the first two or three months that we decided to start actually going out there. So our singer was really proactive and, and just got loads of gigs in our local town. And um, every single gig... I'd come maybe at, at the halftime interval or towards the end of the gig, I'd start cramping up, like really right. badly cramping up. I was pretty happy with what I was playing, but 
I knew that something was a bit off. Um, yeah. And so I was like, I can't figure this out myself. I don't really know what's going on. And I need somebody else to, to help me here. Um, and at that point, there wasn't really a an internet that you could go and, and look no. at or, you know. And I, to this day, you know, would advise anybody to go and actually see somebody and actually be in person with that person because you've you've got so much more diagnostic tools available to you if you like you know on the internet it's only one way um when you see someone in person it's it's you know there's a two-way conversation and you yeah, can yeah. talk about what's going on and, and real-time an- analysis of of things and, and that's a big thing especially when it comes to stuff like like you said like cramping up because if you're cramping up you're obviously physically harming yourself in some way yeah very minutely but a little bit or and yeah. i think for some instruments as well speed you know you, you mm. cap off your speed because your technique isn't quite as good as it could be absolutely and, and trying to push through that barrier by yourself is really difficult because you don't necessarily know what you're doing wrong Whereas if someone yeah. can just even you just need another pair of eyes to look from the opposite direction. True. And, <laughs> and also if they know what they're looking at, like they'll yeah. be able to just go, Oh, wait a minute, you're not using your third finger or <laughs> Yeah. And also being self taught, I I developed some good habits, but also you get used to a certain way of doing something and you develop yeah bad habits as well and yeah. those habits the longer you play with them for the harder they become to break yeah, yeah. Um, and so for me that process was quite painful um, it was going to I, my first teacher was brilliant I, I only went to him for a couple of months because he moved away um, but he really helped me to sort of develop a little bit more coordination independence and also start on on good technique um, yeah. Luckily, I, I had pretty good technique because often with with drums, you you out of necessity trying to emulate or do s- certain things, you have to develop a certain level of technique to get the notes out quickly enough. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he he kind of moved away, but I moved then to another guy. Um, ah, oh, Simon Millist, who had studied with Bob Armstrong in London. And oh, cool. I, I properly lucked out there because he'd um, he'd really kind of drilled himself with with all of the rudimentary and technique things that I needed in my playing. Um, and he and I really bounced off each other and, and kind of because I was at the point where I I knew enough musical theory and all of the kind of the knowledge stuff. Uh, I'd self-taught. I'd, I'd bought books and I could already read so I could know I knew how to to get that information out of the books um so he started basically just throwing uh tab at me so (laughs) things like uh we went through the entire uh back catalogue of chess at that point there was so chess the musical yeah um which is all kinds of weird wonderful time signature changes i don't know whether you know it particularly well but it's i think i have seen some of it i i I don't know it like intimately but i've definitely seen one of steve vai's albums actually is is he he does does a cover of a one of the chess tunes okay um and it's mental um (laughs) uh we did uh, West Side Story, that's that's crazy as well. Um, and, and all kinds of sort of things where it would literally just be, here's a chart, here's the backing tracks, go and play it. Um, and he just gave me, copied off a whole bunch of cassette tapes because um, at that point I didn't have a CD player. And yeah. um, 
yeah, just just took them home and devoured them. And he'd give me reams and reams of like exercises, introduced me to some really complex sort of independence things, exercises to get all my four limbs working independently of one another. Um, and it really sort of pushed me and spurred me on. And uh, yeah, the rest, as they say, is kind of history. Um, uh, from that point, I then just started getting myself into bands and auditioning and doing as much as I could out on the road, if you like. Yeah. Um, what age is I, that I, then? Is that? I think um, it was sixth form college, really. So okay. after my brother left for university, that band kind of broke up um, and I joined an Afro-Cuban soca band. Um <laughs> And we did all kinds of uh, festivals and went to Reading and Glastonbury and did all of the kind of, it was small stuff, um, yeah. not the bit main stages, but it was a real kind of education. Um, and I often say to people, you know, doing actually doing it is way more educational than, than you know, being in a room and, and going through the theory. You know, yeah, you, can, you can do a lot, but um, yeah, for me, it's all about doing and you get way more enjoyment from that as well. In my opinion. Yeah. No, no, no. I, I completely I agree. I completely agree. Like, the, you can... It's... I also think that interaction between multiple instruments, like learning to know when another instrument's going to do something or picking up something from, like, a sax player. Like, I'm, I'm a bass player. Why am I picking up stuff from the sax player? If you're at home, you might think that. But when you're at a gig, you're like, oh, actually, yeah. that's kind of cool. I can, like, even I just can like that a, in. Yeah, even like a toe tap or something, you see, yeah. you see just a body movement or a little cue, and you're like, "Oh, I'm going to hit that," because yeah, yeah. they're feeling it, and there's going to be something there yeah, that yeah. will allow you to to kind of bounce off each other. And you're even if it's just you know acknowledgement of the fact that they tap their foot at that point, they'll yeah. turn around and give you a little smile, and it's like, <laughs> "Yeah, we felt yeah. that same thing." And it's it's a real communication kind of secret language if you yeah. like it's like a whole um, other kind of learning isn't it it's just yeah. like a it's like learning a whole other instrument learning to play in a band is almost yeah. like entirely separate to, yeah and to also the, the different the different types of playing in a band so there's there's so many different disciplines oh, yeah. like um at sixth form college we did african sanctus with yeah. um david fanshaw who was the guy that wrote it he came and did a master class with us there and um, I was doing all of the kind of percussion stuff, which was all congas bong because it's based around African tribal stuff. Uh, but it's a classical piece. And uh, I was playing all of the percussion parts for that. And uh, I've done some stuff with Dad's orchestra, Sandal Symphony Orchestra as well. And that's petrifying because it's not, it's not sat there behind a drum kit and playing a groove. Yeah. It's reading... 142 bars of rest and then having the most incredibly massive tam-tam explosion. <laughs> and if you get that 100 and whatever bars of reading a rest wrong, even by half a, you know, semi-quaver, it's... That is a semi-quaver, but yeah. <laughs> you, you, <laughs> everybody in the place turns around and gives you the most evil glare. Um, and it's it's a totally different level of, you know concentration and and workload yeah. um and yeah playing in a soca band or playing in a rock band or a funk band or a jazz band or whatever kind of music you're playing or in the pits of a, a musical or whatever um i think it's good to to kind of know it all 
know what you like, but also know how to do it. So if the phone rings, you can say yes. Yeah, I think that was a big part of like when I was at university. They used to just each week they'd be like, "We're doing this kind of music. We're doing this." With they'd just stick you in a different different band, different group of people, different style of music. They would chuck charts in front of you. They would chuck everything out the window. You know, each week you're like <laughs> yeah. getting hit by a different thing, and it, it just makes you really adaptable. You know, <laughs> like which is yeah. A super key thing. If you want to be a working live and studio musician, being adaptable is like it's a one hundred percent to have. Yeah, I mean, I was I had this conversation with one of my students yesterday, um, and uh, they came onto the school kit, and we've been we've been practicing their grade piece, and put the backing track on on a speaker next to them. You know, they could hear it clearly, mm-hmm. um, but obviously the drum kit was different to the one they'd been practicing on, and the music sounded different in the different room um, and it put them off like really quite badly. Yeah. And, and that's to be expected, you know, it's, it's, it's a very different feeling. And I had to explain to them, you know, it's, if you're on a gig very often as a drummer, you don't have that uh, same drum kit that you're used to. You're very often on a house kit or, a, you know, especially in a festival situation, you know, you just get the house kit and they might say, bring your own cymbals and snare drums so you don't break ours. But otherwise it will feel entirely different. And yet, you know, every night you're on a different stage in a different venue that sounds different. Um, and so, yeah, you need that level of competency whereby you know it well enough that you can play it on whatever kit you're on, but also have that level, as you say, ad- adaptability that even if you can't hear things or even if things aren't going how you want it to, you can still focus on what you need to focus on to be able to get by. Yeah. Um, there was there was one again, you know, further on. It's like when I was late twenties, uh, I was on tour and uh, we got stuck in traffic. Uh, the tour bus was stuck on the M25 somewhere, and we had to be up in Leeds. Uh, was it Manchester? I can't remember. But the, the, the I do remember the gig because we arrived as the support band was playing. Right. So there was zero sound check, zero opportunity yeah, to yeah. do anything. Um, it was literally unpack my kit, set it all up backstage, and we had to cart it out uh, as the support band was coming off. <laughs> and and I, I normally use in-ear monitors, uh, which allows me to hear things clear as a bell, and that's how I'd rehearsed the whole the whole gig, you know, played everything. Um, and all I could hear the entire gig, I just got some rubber earplugs and stuck them in so I didn't destroy my hearing, um, and all I could hear was whatever was coming out the back of the guitar amp. I couldn't hear the vocals. I couldn't hear the bass. I couldn't hear the keys. It was just the guitar, and it was really loud. Um, and <laughs> At just, least they you know, were I really c- loud. If they were really quiet, well, yeah, you would have yeah. had nothing. <laughs> but you know when it gets to that level of loud uh, where yeah. you just can't hear anything? Yeah, it was yeah. just, you know... It, noise. It's noise. Um, yeah, yeah. I could hear my cymbals and a tiny little... I could feel what was happening with my kick drum. Yeah. Uh, but that was it. And we still got through. (laughs) We still loved it. Yeah, this is it. Because do you know a band called Sunno or Sun? People call them two different names. I don't. They're they're like a. They're like a mm, kind of like doomy. Like they're loud. They're a loud band. But put it this way: (laughs) they they put they have three Ampeg stacks in each corner of the room with a full PA in each corner of the room. Right. Right, yeah. And <laughs> okay. uh, I went and saw this band 
and um, I've never understood the term feeling music more than that point. I okay. had full earplugs in, like the biggest earplugs I could find, and yeah. I, it was just so loud. You could not hear... I don't understand how anyone was in the room without earplugs in. <laughs> and it was just... You could just feel it through your entire body. Wow. And I was like, I do not understand how these people perform. Because yeah. how do you perform with that amount of volume and play in time? But then I guess maybe they weren't in time. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? Maybe I they couldn't... were the worst band on the planet and they just turn it up so loud that you can't hear a thing. It's quite possible. But I, I just remember thinking, like, man, how do you do that? Like, and I guess you were in a similar position where you were just bombarded with sound and yeah. kind of just feeling whatever you could feel. Yeah. Yeah. I did. I did. So, we did once try as well, like, tried to do a recording just with the click everyone got the click and that was it and then just drop everyone's lines on top just to see who, who was nearest <laughs> to the thing that was pretty hilarious that was pretty good for the most part it was okay it was the surprisingly it was the vocals that were not in the right place right yeah you'll and often I'm, find that though with vocalists is is a lot of the um what's the word i'm looking for um the, the phrasing the phrasing of what they're singing isn't always on time. And often, some of the best singers will be totally out of time. Yeah, you you yeah. listen to someone like Frank Sinatra, he's never oh, yeah. on the beat, no. but it just means so much, and it works with the beat. Yeah, it's, in, it's a, in a nondescript way. Got, they've got to work with the band, haven't they? They've got to yeah. work with the sound around them. I, I think it's... I That was the downfall of our experiment, I think, in that no one could actually... Like we were saying earlier, no one could hear each other, so no one could, like play off of anyone it was just yeah. us kind of tracking what we had written in front of us right and it just sounded fine like it, yeah. <laughs> it because none of us could go oh i think he's going to do a fill there i'll do a fill as well or whatever it might have been it was just kind of like straight down the line and then the vocalist just entirely i, I don't know well the, they were somewhere <laughs> but, <laughs> but it, it, it was cool it was an idea it was a thought <laughs> cool so um, so you're you're kind of post college now I guess. Yes. In, in your timeline and did you say you went to uh music uni as well or did you just did you just right, go to that like a music point, At that point I was kind of I had multiple interests. Um so I had obviously music wasn't going away um and it, it was something that I was incredibly passionate about. Hmm. Um but I'd kept and bred tropical marine fish and I was very interested in ecology and the environment and all of that stuff. Yeah, so I was very interested. I'd learned how to dive and I was hell-bent on becoming a marine biologist. So um, as far as I thought, that was academically more of a kind of safe route, more of a... It was something I was passionately interested in um but I, I felt like maybe societal pressures needed me to go to university and do the right, accepted yeah. thing um so uh I did did my A-levels I was always quite a highly academic achiever I didn't yeah. really have any problems through school um I just wasn't particularly passionate about anything other than art sciences and music right um which was kind of sort of contradictory really you know if you think about it but 
yeah, I'm very scientific, very analytical, very kind of. Um, I like working things through and, and sort of analysing data and things. So yeah, yeah. long story short, I went to university in Newcastle and did a degree in marine biology. Um, and it was amazing. You know, I had an uh, incredible time. Uh, I met some really like-minded people. Uh, we got a band together up there, um, recorded an EP and uh, did quite a few live shows. Um, we did a really cool gig in this place called the Live Theatre, which was this... Um, it was quite an intimate venue, but we we packed it out and we did a, a gig with a couple of other bands and um, yeah, it was really good fun. I think that was the main thing. It was it was because music was a secondary thing at that point. Um, I really enjoyed doing it because it was yeah, like yeah. there was no there was no pressure attached to it. It was just yeah. fun. Um, and so I was I went and did an overseas research project in the US. Um, and spent a long time on a whale research vessel, sort of cataloging humpback whales and minke whales and stuff, awesome. which was which was amazing. Um, but through that time, I, I kind of made the realisation and, and making the contacts that I'd made that there really wasn't a huge level of career in what I wanted to do, unless I wanted to go through and do masters and doctorates in specifics, um, and possibly go through to either university lecturing or um, what I saw at the, at the time was selling out. There was quite a, a lot of work working for oil companies, uh, doing environmental reports on in right. marine impact and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, I didn't really want to go down that route. Yeah. And so I was sat back in Newcastle in a lecture about nematode worms. I remember it, <laughs> I remember it incredibly vividly. And having a bit of an epiphany and just going, I just want to be playing my drums. I was I was thinking about the next show. I was thinking about lighting setup. I was thinking about, you know, compression on my bass drum. <laughs> I was thinking about all of these things that were just, I don't know why, but I got I'm really passionate about them. And um, yeah. I had to make a phone call home to mum and dad and just say, I want to I wanna go and do music. You know, this is halfway through my university career. Uh, and they were like, brilliant yeah that's that's <laughs> so, that's amazing you, you know if you figured out at what how old was i then 19 20 exactly what you want to do with your life and you want to follow it passionately go and do it that's because awesome, you know it? it's 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 early enough that you can make a shot you, you can you know have a good go at it yeah and you know worst that can happen is that you're still academically fine. I made the decision to finish off my degree to have that behind right, me. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, as literally, I was halfway through my finals at university, um, and I went down to Guildford to audition for the Academy of Contemporary Music there, um, and got in straight away. Uh, they really liked what I did. Um, the guy, the guy that auditioned me was Steve Vai's drummer. <laughs> right. Um, can't remember his name, but he was playing on Steve Vai's last album. That's pretty And cool. I was really scared because I was like, oh man, he's going to be good. Um, <laughs> but yeah, he t it was it was a, a really good, fun uh, audition. I'm surprised they put... told you. Like That makes it so much scarier, doesn't it? <laughs> well, I think that's probably why they told you because yeah, you know, how, how do they handle pressure? Um, yeah. But yeah, um, and so finished off my degree uh, and then the following September went to Guildford. And I remember the day because it's the day the Twin Towers came down. Oh, um, crazy. So that was a weird kind of bittersweet day. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, so uh, the rest, as they say, is kind of history. Uh, that was that was where my musical career really took off, um, and I met some amazing people, like-minded people. I had some incredible experiences, did some amazing masterclasses, and um, yeah, just some really good contacts. Um, I think that's and started the, teaching there as well. Yeah, I think that's the big thing about those like schools is they just give you tons of contacts. Like yeah. When I went to BIM in Brighton, which is the Brighton Institute of Modern Music, if it doesn't sound, it sounds stupid <laughs> calling it BIM, but yeah, I went yeah. there. And you just meet people who you know are going to throw you a gig at this point, or, oh, I need a guitarist for this. I know the guy, drummer, yep. yeah, he's over there. And it just gives you those contacts that make getting into the industry a whole lot easier i yeah. don't think that necessary like the learning was amazing as well but i don't think that's the key point for going to those places like i i really think that it's that procuring yeah. contacts and networking it's the environment as well i think yeah. for me it was it was okay we've got this i don't know performance at the end of the week and i i'm going to gamify this and i want to win it yeah <laughs> it sounds yeah, yeah. really weird um, but yeah, I just, I just wanted to do it as best as I possibly could and put my best foot forward. Um, cause I knew that, you know, the people that were there, although that, you know, it wasn't like, I don't know, Michael Jackson or, or, you know, the guys from Toto or whoever, you know, Ed Sheeran wasn't there, but yeah. you, you knew that the people there might one day or could put you into in touch with people that that might give you a gig or you know so I was just trying to be as good as I possibly could I probably could have practiced a bit more um and partied a little bit less but you know I would you know life's about enjoying that, that's yourself part as of well networking as well you know like yeah. that that is although it seems probably not at the time you're networking you're meeting people like if you don't go out and do that then you're not going to get that part of the education. You're only going to get the kind of learning bit. Because yep. I, I was literally having a discussion the other day with a student and the, I was like, there's loads of amazing musicians, like the best musicians in the world. No one's ever heard them though because they only play music in their house. Yeah. Because they haven't had the opportunity to play it with other musicians and actually expand out and meet other people they're yeah. probably way better than me. I I know there's probably a gazillion bass players sat in their house who are way better than me, but they just haven't had the opportunity because they haven't met the people to go out and do the next part, you know? Yeah. and But, you know, better how. Um, there yeah, are so this many... This is it. That's another... You know, <laughs> so many facets um, to being a musician. Oh, yeah. You know, it's not just about the notes you play and, you know, how fast you can do this or that. Um, it's about your feel. It's about your personality. It's about how you get on with other people. It's yeah. about how, how much fun you are to hang out with in the studio or out on a gig. That's it. It's, you know, it's how professional you can be, how good your timekeeping is. It's all of the, you know, things that would go well with any career um and it's you know being a nice person and treating yeah. people with respect and blah 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 all of that stuff and and it's an art 
and all art forms do not technically, although Tim likes to gamify them. <laughs> there, there, is, there is technically, there's no winning. There is no better. No, there is no. just different. There's there only competing different. against yourself. Um, exactly, and as far yeah. and I always have this conversation as well with students. It's they'll always be kind of going, oh, I saw this guy on YouTube. He's playing this fast and he's doing this and he's playing this song. And it's it's like, well, yeah, great, you know. But how long has he been playing, or how long has she been playing? They're, they're great at what they do because they've done all of the stuff that you haven't seen. Um, you can only judge yourself by your own level. Yeah. You know, I'm, I've never been pro- or professed to be the best drummer. I know that I'm not the best drummer. <laughs> I just know I love it and I, I, I want to do it. And so if you do, like you, we were saying in the outset, if you do something enough, that 10,000 hours, you're going to get fairly good. You know, yeah. even if you're doing the same thing mm-hmm. over and over again, you'll get really good at that one thing. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I think it's just a case of judging yourself by your own merits. It's like going to the gym. You know, if you, if you yeah. see some muscle-bound meathead over lifting 500 kilograms or something and you're like, oh, I can only lift 12. Great don't judge yourself by what they've done because they've been doing it for donkey's years. That's it. And you might and have only been able to lift six the week before or whatever. Like. Exactly. So if you can if you can improve by your own standards, then that's brilliant. Yeah. No, I, I do think that's awesome. And, and actually, like I said, a lot of people say about um, music colleges not being a massive thing, but I, I really do think they're great in getting those core musicianship skills that you talked about there and, and agreed and getting you to be a bit more professional because not all musicians are that professional when they first start <laughs> out maybe <laughs> yeah, true. And, and they, they there kind is of a be- bit of a stigma yeah definitely with musicians bit. yeah people didn't used to like to marry musicians for some reason there was there was a big thing in the the 50s 60s i can't remember right <laughs> did you know yeah, luckily that? for me i married i married a musician so yeah, yeah. there was no issue with that that's a but, good um, trick <laughs> yeah <laughs> Well, we understand what's going on as well. You know, if it's, I've got a gig and I'm not going to be home till 2.30, fine. Yeah, it's all good. I understand. It's all good. I can live with it. Yeah. So kind of along those lines then, you, you, you've you gone up to college and done all the uni yeah. stuff as well. What was your, like, what was your kind of big thing, I guess? When were you, like, um, what was your favourite gig? And the thing is, you're, like, stand out as, as something that you think of as man that was so cool to do in my career i guess there's quite a few kind of standout moments um for different reasons yeah i think the the one that just comes springs to mind straight away was um in when was it 2007 ish uh i had a bit of a quarter life crisis and i was <laughs> i was we'd moved down to cornwall and uh, I'd started teaching and I was actually at the time working part-time in Comet, as it was then, before they right. went into administration, selling TVs and being a salesman. And it would, definitely wasn't my bag. You know, it was, <laughs> was soul-destroying for me. I'm not saying it would be for everybody, but I felt like I was just trying to generate money for somebody else, doing something I didn't really care about and... I was on their clock Um, and all the while I was just thinking, man, I just need to be playing my drums. I want to do this more and I can't, what's going on. And I think every, every musician at some stage goes through that point where, you know, we'd moved away from London um, to a new place where nobody knew who I was. Um, 
it was in hindsight, it was a pretty brave thing to do. Um, but when you're in that situation, we, we just got married and moved out. We love Cornwall. It's just the most amazing place to be. Um, and from a, an energetic perspe- uh, perspective, um, compared to London, it was much more healthy for us to be here. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you've got to pay the bills. And so I got a part-time job there and I had this kind of quarter-life crisis and I was like, what is going on? I need to do something pro- productive here. Um, and just so I started putting the word out and asking people and looking for auditions. Right. And one came up, ironically enough, in London. <laughs> um, and so I was like, right, okay, what have I got to lose? You know, if it's if it's a big gig and I can make it work, then at least I'm playing the drums. I might need to travel a lot, but I'm, I could try and make it work. So mm-hmm. got on a mega bus and went up to London with my kick drum and cymbals and snare drum and uh, went for this audition with this band called Longview. Um, and in, it was early 2000s, they'd had quite a big album uh, called Mercury and they'd won all kinds of awards with it and they'd sold loads. They were with Universal Records. Um, and I went along to this audition and absolutely smashed it. <laughs> and it wasn't, it wasn't a case of, you know, I'm really sort of feeling great about myself and, you know, I'm trying to big my own trumpet, if you like, but I, I went into that room and it just felt right. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, everything worked. I'd learned all the tracks, uh, and they all had big grins on their faces and, you know, t- sort of giving each other sort of smiles and looking at each other and you could tell something was going on. Yeah. Um, and it was kind of confirmation that I could do this thing um, mm. in a in a kind of real world sort of main stage arena. Um, and they'd said, you know, the guy from Cooler Shaker came along and he didn't have a clue. The guy from this band came along and, you know, it just wasn't what we were looking for. But, you, you know, we don't know who you are, but whatever it is you bring to the table, you've got it. Yeah. And so they offered me the gig there and then uh, and said, we're doing an album, we're doing a tour, are you on board? And without hesitation, I was like, yes, (laughs) Yes. absolutely. Um, When's the first rehearsal? So we sorted out logistics and um, I spent 18 months doing that and it was, yeah, really incredible. But I think that was kind of the main, it wasn't a performance, it wasn't a... uh, a gig per se, but it 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 was a moment in my life that I was like, I am good enough. Right. Yeah, even yeah. if, even if it's not like, like an epiphany. <sighs> yeah. It, it wasn't like a, wow, look at this big stage and this big arena. But it was for me a personal achievement. Um, but from a p- purely gigging perspective, it was on that tour. Um, and it was, there were several, actually there was uh, King Tut's uh, up in Glasgow, which was a crazy gig. It was fairly small. Um, I was going to say, it's not a massive venue, is it? No, but it was absolutely incredible. Like every single person in the in the room was singing every single word to every single song, oh, and it was cool. the the energy was just insane. And also, uh, Hoxton Bar and Grill on that same tour. That okay. was it. Was it was a room where you could have literally walked across people's heads they were so tightly packed um, <laughs> and there was about 1500 people and i'm sure the capacity was only 12 um <laughs> that's pretty yeah amazing. it was just electric energy um 
So yeah, and I think also that's what it comes know, things, down to, isn't it? Yeah, the yeah. energy in the room is almost more than the number of people. Number of people yeah. doesn't really matter, and I think that's Absolutely. come up a few times in the podcast. Like that, when I say the biggest gig, I guess like a lot of young musicians would go, "Oh my god, Glastonbury or or you know Reading or something." And actually, when you come back from that, it's like they they're great gigs. But, They're great to be part of and involved yeah. with. And the energy yeah. of the festival is amazing. Yes. Um, but it's more of a kind of uh, complete weekend, if you like. And yeah, the gig yeah. is a nice part of that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but when you but think yeah, of like your favourite gig, it's always the one with like the big energy and loads of people rammed into one room and like yeah, just yeah, hyped up. Absolutely. But <laughs> it can literally be a function gig on a Saturday night at a wedding. You know, if, yeah. if the cr- yeah, if yeah. the people are really into it and loving it and singing along and having fun and are with you, yeah. then, you know, a, a wedding function covers gig can be just as good. Oh, yeah. We've um, had some great ones. Like they, they were yeah. like... They were like shows, like, but but, then, <laughs> yeah. but we've you have got the side when you're doing that, they you you know that you're playing really good songs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's you've, not yours. You've got you've got that advantage. It's not like they're not going to know the words to Mr. Brightside or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, if I if I never have to play that song ever again, it's going to be too soon. Well, you've only got two weeks, so <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, there was there was one in college uh, back in Guildford. Uh, we had a an originals project called Kabbalah, um, which was with my now wife, um, and we were in the band together. It was an originals project, and uh, it was all stuff that we'd written from scratch ourselves, totally original. And we'd booked out a fairly small venue in Guildford, um, and again, you know, it was it was probably two hundred people max. Um, but again, everybody was singing along to our songs and it, it just felt really good. That was the early 20s and it, it's probably more of a slightly more of a distant memory now, but, you know, just as poignant. For Not sure. that old, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> You're making it sound like it was... I like, show my years very well. <laughs> Half an age ago. Uh, yeah. <laughs> So, um, yeah, I mean, there's been lots of amazing moments, but for different reasons. Yeah, yeah. No, you know, I've, I've, actually, actually, sorry, I'm, I'm just on. thinking no, of other on. ones that, that come to mind. That family of friends that I first started playing with um, when I was a kid, yeah. um, later on, maybe two or three visits after that first time I started playing drums, um, I had obviously got a kit by that point um, mm-hmm. and had been practicing at home and stuff. So I knew my way around the kit a little bit more. And it was probably a couple of years later. Um, we got together with them and everybody was much more proficient at what they were doing. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we started playing things like Stevie Ray Vaughan songs and proper full Jimi Hendrix covers and things. Going for it. <laughs> Absolutely. But there was a moment in that time, well, it was the first time it had ever happened, where I. I know this is going to sound a bit woo-woo and a bit hippie-ish, but I left my body. I, <laughs> I, to- I totally was unaware of my physical body. Yeah. Um, and we were just playing something. I was probably Red House or some blues jam that I just didn't need to think about, but it felt like I'd been possessed by somebody else. You know, I, <laughs> I, was, I was just listening to it as, a, as an outsider. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, I could have swear, sworn Jimi Hendrix was in the room with us. It was just <laughs> a spiritual experience. And I think music can be that, but it was my first experience of, of being there. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I know, that I, know, was another... I know what you mean. I know what you mean, totally. Like, yeah. when you're absolutely nailing it, like, you're you're almost not present in that space, are you? You know, like, yeah. when you're never... If you're concentrating on something, you will never be doing your best work i don't think like it's only when it's like all instinctual and it's all like just happening that you you do something and then that's when someone turns around later on and goes can you do that again and you're like (laughs) nope (laughs) no (laughs) not even slightly because i don't even know what i was doing myself no no, i was somewhere else i was somewhere else (laughs) i was channeling yeah channeling my my inner srv yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wish I could channel my inner SRV on a, <laughs> on, a, on, a, on, a on a basis regularly. That'd be amazing. Cool. So um, you've been teaching for quite a while as well now. And, Correct. Um, yes. And you said you started. Do you start at ACM teaching? That's right. Yeah. I mean, uh, basically because I was a destitute student who had zero money yeah. um, I had to find I had an electric kit set up in my um, in my flat uh, but I wanted to be able to practice on my acoustic kit um, and so opposite our flat there was an old Baptist church well, I say an old Baptist church it was a Baptist church right, yeah. and um, underneath that that building there was a big kind of Sunday school space which yeah. wasn't used a hell of a lot and uh, I approached the uh, vicar or deacon or whatever they call the Baptist guy um, and uh, said, is there any chance of me setting my kit up um, if I give you a little bit of money towards the hire of the space or whatever? Um, and he was like, oh, funny you should say, my son wants to start practising and playing drums. Um, how's about you set up your kit here and you can give him some lessons? That's pretty cool. Um and I was like, brilliant, great. So it was obviously freebie, but it was a swap. Um, I got something out of it, they got something out of it, and turned out I quite liked it. It was, it was quite enjoyable. Um, he was quite engaged and really enjoyed it, and I offered him the use of my kit when I wasn't using it. Um, and so it was quite a mutually beneficial arrangement. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, basically uh, started teaching from there. Um, and got a few students and it started to cover my living expenses a little bit. Um, I did have another sort of daytime job working in a aquatics shop just down the road, but otherwise it was just, um, yeah, teaching and, and the rest, as they say, is history. It was just using everything that I'd learnt myself from my course um, on a simplified basis for the students. And I didn't really have any teaching training per se yeah um but i've always had quite a good way of communication and and sort of relating to my students because i yeah. guess it's it's where i came from it's what i knew as, yeah, a, yeah. as a learner myself so it's I mean, just, it sounds like especially like the way your parents taught and the way you learn through your family it, it sounds like you know it's that like a uh, community learning like we talked about in the band as yeah. well yeah Absolutely. I think it's it's more, there's um, a brilliant TED talk. Um, I don't know whether you've seen it by Victor Wooten. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, and he talks about that whole kind of passive learning, the osmosis effect. You know, he was a, if you haven't heard any Victor Wooten stuff, go and check him out. He's incredible. Um, 
he does some amazing talks on TED and and also uh, he's got loads of DVDs and videos out. Um, he's and got he's lots of words stuff. of wisdom, hasn't he? He's, he's yeah. always got he's always he's got like zen. a little like a strap line you could you could easily <laughs> put as a quote somewhere. Yeah, put that in a book and sell it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, he's um, he's always talked about this way of learning because he that's exactly how he learned himself. It's just by being surrounded by music and just having a bass in, in the in the corner. Um, and he was just like seeing what everyone else was doing, hearing what was going on. And then seeing how he could emulate or seeing how he could create something on that instrument without being shown, without being given any kind of restrictions or rules. um, I think the most creative people come to it that way. And I've had this conversation many times with my dad because he's very classical um, and he's an incredible musician and plays things incredibly expressively. He feels the music, but he, he needs the... Uh, score the the written notes in front yeah. of him yeah and you know is very experienced and can do that flawlessly i couldn't do what he does no. um but he's often said to us uh i wish i could improvise like you guys do um so it's a different skill set and it's a different approach um neither's right neither's wrong it's just a different way of learning but and it I think can that's the give way you with all music isn't it you know like yeah there's, there's so many different ways of playing every instrument let alone the music you play let alone like all of those other benefactors it's just what you're saying like it, it's 100% it's yeah. so individual yeah and it gives rise to different art as well it's like saying to a, a painter you know you can only use acrylics and you can only use uh, I don't know this size paintbrush yeah. which is fine for a particular style of art but if you want to create some incredible watercolor thing with blended colors and that's not going to work for you and so you you need to be open to all kinds of ways of doing this stuff and as a result of doing it differently you'll get different results yeah. and all I of think it especially when you're the, young you know yeah. when, when you're when you're first learning like being open to it all and experimenting with different ideas as well and seeing what fits and seeing where your your abilities lie. It's the yeah. same as, you know, learning in different ways. Mm. I know you've had this this conversation with other podcast guests. It's it's the ability to see somebody might be a visual learner and so you might use a lot of musical notation and stuff. Somebody might be an audience learner and and work way better if they hear something and emulate that. That's yeah. kind of where I began. Um, and some people work well by being shown and actually seeing the process of doing it um, and visualising blocks and things. It's yeah, like yeah. everybody's brain works slightly differently. Um, and I find that fascinating as a teacher. Yeah, I think it's amazing. I think it's so, it's so crazy, really. And I think now as well that they're, they're figuring out that people actually kind of do two or three of those things all at once and it's the way that they combine those things as well which makes even more possibilities of how they could be learning so absolutely it, yeah it's just like an infinite like an infinite cycle to learning if you'd like really and, and it, 100%. Goes, it goes well with music as well you know there's, <laughs> there's an infinite ways of doing everything infinite ways of learning so it's just finding your own way and finding your own sound and your yeah. own way of doing it and you'll get there but the more teachers you can have i think that really really helps like i know that having lots of influences really helped me to find the bits i like doing the bits i didn't yeah absolutely and also um 
I often say to students, again, this is because of how I came to to play and and the way that I play. Um, if you can find the music that you like, I think musical education is is so often spoon fed to you um, because oh, this is a this is a good song because it represents I don't know the reggae style or the yeah, yeah. you know funk style or the hip hop style. Here's a, here's a song that represents that. But I, th- I think that it's so important for uh, any musician on their journey to, to find the stuff that really inspires them. Mm-hmm. So for me, for me, it was very much sort of starting off in the rock genre and then finding jazz and fusion and funk and all of that kind of stuff. And uh, I found songs and musicians and drummers that I really like their playing. And I study them and I try to emulate them. And as a result, I've come up with this mashed up style of my own that I'm now a drummer that I quite like listening to. Yeah. Whereas another student, one of my students, for example, might be totally into grime and, and hip hop and, um, you know, maybe dubstep or whatever. And they're not going to want to play the way that I play. They're going to want to play in a way that they can create stuff that they really love themselves. And so I think it's really important to self-educate to a degree. And I I see my job really as kind of facilitating that journey as opposed to dictating that journey. Yeah, no, I I totally agree. That's That's how I see it as well. Like they want to learn a song, cool, we'll learn the song and we'll try and figure out what makes that Song yeah, and often and you can, yeah, it. it's an education for me as well because yeah. often I haven't heard some of the stuff that they're listening to because you just can't keep up with it. No, you know, there's, there's so there's, there's so much, much released. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, that's kind of where I come to the the teaching from, and obviously it's got to be fun as well. You know, people yeah. need to enjoy it as a process. Yeah, yeah, they got to enjoy the music, haven't they? And and that's it. We all kind of round it off with one final question, and that is it's. Could be a long one. It could be a short one. We'll find out. We'll <laughs> Probably find out. will but, be knowing me. But um, how does music now affect you as an adult? Because we talked about your kind of your life as you progressed and you've gone through and how you started off and it was always around you as a kid. Is it still always around you as an adult? Is it like I, I know you still play in bands, so yeah. I, and I know you teach, so you're still playing. Yes. Um, I, well, that's the simple and short answer is yes. Um, <laughs> I mean, from when I was a kid, um, I think I think this is true of anybody. Your formative years, maybe for me it was about sort of 8 to 20, sort of those kind of years. So yeah. through teenagers, being a teenager and actually discovering music. Yeah. Um, I don't think anything can necessarily replace that. Mm-hmm. because you're you're hearing things for the very first time. It's yeah, like yeah. the first time you go to Disney World. It's like, wow, this is incredible. <laughs> it's like mind-blowing and you've never seen anything like it before. But um, I think now I I can go back and listen to the stuff that I, I first heard and, and was inspired by and see new things in that. Yeah. But I can also hear new music and either be a little bit more selective and go, I've heard this kind of stuff before. I'm sure it's very good, but I want something new. Yeah. Um, or I can go, yeah, this is really indicative of what I love and yeah, I'm just yeah. going to listen to it because I want to. You, you've, got a some, bit more of a, you've got a bit more of an idea of what you like now. 
basically. Yeah. You know, like it's, it it's wears more of an efficient was... filter. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think um, I mean, there's still music to this day that absolutely blows my mind. Like I've I have heard recently things, um, specifically, Snarky Puppy, um, and Jacob Collier. Oh yeah, um, he's a, he's a machine. I yeah, my daughter loves listening to Jacob Collier. Something about the vocal harmonies. It just like yeah. she gets like entranced by it. <laughs> but, <laughs> but he's just like he's just on another planet. And Michael League from Snarky Puppy as well. I think is yeah, he's he's a great writer. That whole kind of movement generally. Um, yeah. I think it's it's genreless and it's uh, if that's even a word, and it's it's progressive and it's it's creative and it's it's taking it to a different level and it's using yeah. technology as well yeah yeah um and i think yeah that that for me the first time i heard is it jesse or dj dj sa oh, yeah, <laughs> i don't yeah, know yeah. How, how you yeah, pronounce yeah, the yeah. album titles yeah I know, but yeah. i think it was volume 2 that yeah. i heard first that was an um, album of the week a few weeks back actually was it really <laughs> it was okay, indeed fine so yeah, yeah i be- i basically put that on um and listen to it top to tail with the lights off, just eyes closed, and I just got lost for an hour. Yeah. And it was it was one of those musical experiences. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I haven't had that for a while. And I think it becomes more and more difficult to find music that that you can achieve that with. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I'll still go to albums that I listened to listen to when I was sort of sixteen, seventeen, and still find something in them. Um, yeah. so I'm always, I'm always on the search for something new and exciting. But, <laughs> that's um, great though, yeah. isn't it? Like, that's just like still open to new music is always a good thing. I think, I think when you get overly yeah. closed off, it's, um, it's not a bad thing, I guess. It's just a, like we said, like it's a different way of doing it, but I do think it probably means that you're not ever going to expand your playing into that area anymore. Just yeah. Cause you, cause you need to hear it. You need to like True. take it in a little bit, and even if you don't like it, because uh, I've heard I listen to albums and I'll listen to them. My brother will pick some random albums and send them my way, and I'll listen to it. And afterwards, I'll go, "Yeah, it was all right." <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and he's like, "It's the greatest album ever." I'm like, "It was fine. Like there was nothing wrong with it. It just wasn't for me." Um, yeah. but there was a cool bit there maybe that I could take away Absolutely. and have a go at and I think it's, in, it's um, incredible and, and also teaching the students that I teach um, they get to sort of show me what they're into as well and yeah, I actively yeah. encourage that um, and often you'll find that either they're getting into stuff that you got into when you were their age so it might be something to do with your, your musical journey anyway so yeah. the stuff that appeals to you at a certain age is mm-hmm. quite universal you know, you'll always get drummers coming to you with ACDC or some yeah, Aerosmith yeah. or yeah. some insert rock band of choice here. <laughs> and and then they'll go through that little thing and they'll start discovering something a bit more funky, maybe getting some Red Hot Chili Peppers or, yeah, yeah. you know, maybe maybe some Muse or some, you know, again, it's it's that. And Nirvana is always a big one as well. Yeah, of course. Um, but yeah, so going through and, and you know, it's 2021 and... That stuff came out when I was sort of twelve. Yeah, yeah. So they're still listening to it. They're still listening to it. Um, so there's something pretty. I don't know whether it's a it's a generational thing, and their parents are just listening to it. Well, I don't know. I because people still listen to the Beatles. That's true. And, yeah, and like, good music stays. My, yeah, my my parents 
were not old enough to listen to the beat like the Beatles came out before they were born <laughs> yeah so like obviously they had albums during their lifetime but like it it just goes to show that I think if someone's created something that that has staying power there's probably mm. something something to that you know there's a reason True. why it's still sticking around a little bit yeah but, but, yeah, but I, um yeah I get introduced to to new music by students all the time as well yeah, there's yeah. one student I had on Wednesday who was like, oh, you need to listen to Casey Edwards. He's a big gamer and he loves his game music. Right, um, yeah. And yeah, absolutely insane. I'd never heard of it before, but it's incredible. It's like yeah. properly progressive, like fast and intricate and very technically demanding music. Yeah, yeah. Um, and with I, an insane it surprises you sometimes solo. when they bring that to you, doesn't it? Like, yeah. like a little kid brings you a song, you're like, whoa, that's a bit that's <laughs> so intense. Like, Can I play this, Tim? Um, you started drumming two days ago. <laughs> in a couple, in a couple <laughs> we'll, years. We'll work towards it. <laughs> I, I don't know. I've had I've had students come in who are like, you know, obviously like sweet child of mine or whatever on guitar, and they've yeah. just like been like two years. I, I've been giving them their homework. They do. You can tell they do the bit that I've asked them to do, and then they spend the rest of the week on sweet child of mine or whatever <laughs> it is. And like a couple of years in, they've got it. You know. Yeah. But yeah. so it it shows that it really you really can do that if you've got that determination. Absolutely. Cool. Um, so yes, in short, yes. Yes, music <laughs> is a big thing in Tim's life, which is awesome. And yeah. I hope that it is still a big thing in whoever's listening's life as well. And you managed to gain a little bit of inspiration from this podcast. You're going to go grab your instrument, lock yourself away in the upstairs like Tim did. And um, take every pathway that comes your way. Because really, if someone offers you an opportunity, you may as well take it and you never know what might happen afterwards. And until next time, I'm going to say bye. See you later, Gary. See you later, everybody. (laughs) Bye. Bye -bye. (laughs) Bye-bye.